Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My name is Giles Torreira, and you are listening to the Honest Actors Podcast. Hi, my name is Jonathan Harden, and I'm standing in my cellar for the last time this series to introduce you to another episode of the Honest Actors Podcast. Before I can let you enjoy episode 13 of series 2, I have a few thank yous to do. These are the people and the organisations without whose help I would not have been able to produce a second series. So firstly, uh, I need to thank the people who provided the spaces in which I interviewed the majority of the actors, Equity and Spotlight namely. Uh, Particularly uh, Lindsay at Spotlight, who not only was instrumental in organising spaces for most of the interviews, but also uh, in organising the Emerging Actors Roundtable, which is available on YouTube. Uh, So thanks to uh, Equity and Spotlight. Thanks one last time to the 13 interviewees who have made this series such a success. I, for one, have found all of them fascinating. There wasn't a single one that I didn't come away from thinking I hadn't learned something or gained something. So thank you to all of you for your time and your honesty. And in some cases, the use of your homes and a cup of tea and maybe even a biscuit or two. So thanks each and every one of you. This series would simply not have happened at all had it not been for the intervention of uh, the saviours of the Honest Actors podcast for this series, Today Ticks. So uh, the very final thank you, the most important of all, is to Today Ticks for their support, their continued support, which, as I say, was essential to making this thing possible. There seems no better time then to introduce this for one last time. If you want great offers on theatre tickets, access to day seats on your mobile and exclusive front row lotteries, you need TodayTix, the ticketing app that lets you see theatre differently. To get tickets with no queues and no fuss, download TodayTix now on the App Store and Google Play. So that's it from me in terms of an introduction. I'll be back in oh, about 20 minutes or so and again at the end as usual. So all that remains for me for this section is to say... Here is episode 13 with Giles Terrera. Enjoy. Uh, how did you come to be an actor? What was your route into the business? And you can start as far back as you like. At what point did you first start to think, oh, I enjoy this? I did it as a kid, um, as in, <clears throat> I was always being silly, I was always doing funny voices, I was always doing impressions, I was always singing from, you know, infant school, primary school. Okay. But it wasn't until 
And I, I did one of the, I did a couple of the school plays. I did The Wizard of Oz. That was the first play I did right. when I was about nine. Who'd you play? I was the scarecrow. Of course you were. I was the scarecrow. And we did that thing that they do at school where there's two different casts and you do one yeah. day and then the other day. But for some reason, I did both. Um, once, once they'd seen you as Scarecrow, they, they, maybe, they, I don't they, know. they couldn't see anyone else in the role. I, may, I, I, I got the role, so I did that. But it was fun. It was, it was something that was like a hobby and it was fun. And I didn't, realize, I didn't come from a theatre background. Right. No one in my family was in the theatre. No one in my family was in the arts. Did they sing? Did they dance? Was there, you know, was there a sense of performance? My mum was a brilliant singer. Right. She had a, she, um, she, again, but she was busy raising us and she was a nurse. So she, it wasn't something that was very conscious. You know how some people sort of get up a party and sing or they're known for singing at Christmas or whatever. That wasn't what my mum just sort of sang in the background for fun. I could always tell that she, she was, the older I got, I was like, actually, she's very, she's yeah. quite, I can recognise some of the um, qualities of quite a good singer in another life. Um, but no one in my family was in the arts at all. So... It wasn't something I realised you could do for a profession at all. I had right. no idea about that. Until I finished school, did badly at school, because I was more interested in going down to the music block and playing the piano, and, right. and I got into bands and all of that. I was quite good at school, but I just kind of lost interest at the end, um, because I, I, I was more into music. So I left school, and then a friend, and I went back to school to do to redo my exams, which I didn't do great in. And the first day I went back, I realised it was completely wrong. <laughs> so I left at lunchtime and went home and said, this is totally, there was something that was just like, this is wrong, this doesn't feel right. So I left and a friend of mine who was in the year above, she had just, who I was doing amateur dramatics with at that point, I just started. And she was in the year above me and she had just finished her first year of a, it was called a BTEC. Um, a course in performing arts. Right. So I saw, her, I bumped into her. And she said, "Oh, why don't you come and do? We've just started our second term, and why don't you come and do our, our BTEC in performing arts?" And I was like, mm, "Okay." So I went and met the the head of the course, and they had started. And but she said, "Okay, no, you you seem like you're you've got something. Come and start." So I did that for two years. During at the end of the first year, I was always kind of the class clown I was always going to make because it was still fun it, it, you, it hadn't, still you fun. hadn't turned to being oh yeah this is actually me on a career path or... I had no idea at that right, point. Okay. I didn't know about how theatre worked I didn't know how TV worked I still remember now it's funny actually now thinking my point of reference for TV shows was like say um, EastEnders right I just assumed I'd seen plays so I knew things that happened, sort of the play started and then it went through to the end. So I just assumed that TV was like that, that they would go from one house, Pauline's house in, in um, Albert Square, and then the cameras would just go to sort of, I thought it was all in one thing. Yeah. I had no point of reference at all for how theatre worked. I didn't go to the theatre, went to the pantomime. We saw movies, my mum liked movies. But um, I didn't have any point of reference. So it was only in the end of the first year of that course where a friend of mine, who was also the cast clown, but by the time we got our first first year's um, assessments, his were amazing, <laughs> as well as being the most popular one in the class clown, and mine were, were just sort of average. He'd somehow managed, he'd just nailed it. He was going home and he was, he was getting the things done on time and the projects and the papers and all of that. 
And that was a massive wake-up call for me at the end of the first year. Because I thought, oh, right, okay, you need to be committed, you need to be serious, you need to get it done. That's no matter slime ball. He was misleading you that whole year. Kind of, <laughs> kind of. But he's one of those people who just, who was just, who could just do it. Yeah. He could just turn it in. Sunday night, he could just do his thing and then that's it. Whereas I've always been the kind of person that has to sort of apply myself and work. So that was a big wake-up call to sort of say, you need to know exactly what it is that you're doing. So when I came to London, after that, they said, okay, well, everyone was going to audition for drama school. I had no idea what drama school was. So I said, okay, well, then you go and do that. So I got the forms and came down and auditioned. And I was the one that got in and no one else got in. So I then had to go, had to, and you could get a grant then, you could get a maintenance yeah. grant for everything. So I went and did the audition for, the, for my local council and managed to get a grant and found myself off in London when I was 18. And when I got to, by the, time I, so by the time I got to London, I knew what it was that I sort of wanted to do. I still didn't know what theatre was or how it worked or did, I mean, in terms of then, not having anyone outside of your family that had done it before. Not even a sense that there's someone in your extended family who was a musician, professional musician, right? Um, was there a point at which you understood what it was, but you had to communicate that to, say, your mum? And do you remember, like, was that a... Did, did she want something else for you? Did she yeah. not quite get it, or...? Like always, she wants, you know, she'd prefer... You know, my father passed away, so my mother raised me and my three sisters. So she was very aware that you have to have something which is going to, you've got to be able to, you know, sustain yourself in life. And the one thing that everyone seems to know about acting is that it's a very precarious business. Oh, it's very difficult. It's very tough. But, so there was that. Um, and also my father was, was a very smart man and he was uh, sort of intellectual. So there was a bit of a letdown, <laughs> a bit of a let, a bit of a, shock at me not wanting to do anything academic um the complete opposite going to the theater but no my mum was very supportive actually again i would hope that a lot of people it's sort of if if your parents have seen you do something since you were a child and they really know that that's what you that's what um you enjoy doing then most people i know kind of get the talk of like well it's going to be difficult but so long as you know the difficulties then give it a go um so you said your mum sang and she watched movies yeah do you remember growing up who were the people who you thought possibly in your innocence or maybe even in your ignorance were good actors do you remember watching people on screen and thinking he or she that's if i could be as good as that who were your heroes at that early stage or did you have any I didn't have any when I was a kid. I just soaked it all up. I used to, well, that's not true. I used to love um, the cartoons. So I'd get up and you remember when, I mean, this doesn't happen anymore. This is a long time ago, but um, you'd have cartoons first thing in the morning. Early Sunday morning. Yeah. Gummy bears. Yeah. All, all of that. that stuff. Yep. So I would get up and Daffy Duck was my favorite and Bugs Bunny <laughs> was my favorite and Wiley Coyote was my favorite. And I would love the cartoons. I remember, you, you remember when you used to get up and before, it was before TV was 24 hours. Yeah. So you'd have like, whatever that thing was, Ooh. CFAX or Oracle or whatever. Yep. The information stuff. And then I'd be there like, come on, come on. It's like <laughs> quarter to seven. Come on, come on. And, I, and then finally the cartoons would come on. 
and I'd watch them for two hours while no one else was up. So you went to the cinema as well? So yeah. Your mum took, she, yeah. she took you out to the cinema? Yeah, we went to the cinema. Not a huge amount, but there were, you know, that thing of, it, it seemed like a lot, but actually now it was probably only a handful of times, but yeah. there were such formative um, events that I remember them very well. Um, and we had a really good cinema. Um, so whenever we could, which can't have been enough, and we went, we went to the cinema. But also my mum loved, um, whenever she could, whenever she wasn't working, they'd have late night movies. And they'd be, sort of after the news at 10, you'd have like the late movie. And then that would finish at about one or something. Right. And then the TV would go off until the cartoons came on the next day. Yeah. And they would, might be like a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. Like an old Western or something. She loved those Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> Um, and I would like to be a bit scary yeah. if you were eight years old or ten years old or whatever. Even just tonally, there's just a heavy yeah. tone that yeah. you pick up on Very as a kid. serious. Yeah. And then not like cartoons or fast or funny or anything like that. But occasionally I'd watch them. And my, I remember my mum going, oh, I love these movies because, you know, they're, they are, there's no, there's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah. She said, and it's quite interesting now I'm thinking about it. She sort of looked at these things quite, in quite an interesting way. She'd be like, you know, the guy walks into the town and then the other end of the street, there's the bad guy and then they're looking at each other for a while. Visual stories, really? Yeah. Yeah. And then occasionally, then you see the close-up of someone's gun and then you see the other one and then there's a bit of dialogue and then someone shoots the other and there's another 10 minutes with no dialogue. She loved all that. So it was sort of those kind of things were the things that I saw as opposed to, or we went to the pantomime. We went to the pantomime over Christmas, which I don't really remember, but I remember her saying, I used to take you on to see the pantomime. Um, So I think that, Though all those things were very, that was my point of reference, I think, right. and sort of still is, because that's the sort of DNA, I think, of maybe what, who I am, as opposed to, I wasn't taken to the RSC or didn't get to Stratford or... Yeah, of course. That side of things. So, um, for me, I've always loved the, the simple thing of, of what is, you know, the, the situation between this person and that person, and what is it they're trying to do, and... The simplicity of those kind of earlier things, the cartoons and all that kind of stuff, I think sticks with me really. That's what, what do you think is the first time uh, you, you felt like you were part of that world, like you felt like I am an actor? A lot of people feel that very young and they don't see any difference between doing you know, the, the scarecrow and, and performing on a stage in front of a thousand people, but at what point do you feel like you were confidently thinking, I'm an actor now? That's a good question. Um... For me, hearing what you've just said about the scarecrow, and then let's just say I was my, one of my first. My first job was at the National, so within me there was no real difference. Actually, what was going on between me, sort of standing on stage, being a character, being in a situation, and having an audience in front of you that you are one supposed to entertain, but also communicate something to. That there was no real difference. Essentially, it wasn't a big sort of adjustment. Not that I thought about that time, but now thinking about it, it's essentially the same thing. In terms of my place within that, within the world, that was a massive, huge thing because I never quite felt when I came down to Mountview to audition to go to drama school. We started, and I, I remember being in a room full of people who were auditioning, and they were everyone seemed we were being asked questions by the teachers and stuff, and everyone seemed to have been. Um, their mum and dad took them to the theatre and they went to see this production and they came down to the yep. West and see that and they went to the Royal Shakespeare Company to see this yep. and they knew all these people and I had no idea what they were talking about. I had none of that and I seemed to be the only person who didn't have any of that. So I kind of always felt that I was 
um, sort of catching up a little bit. Uh, and that never really goes. So I, th- th- that sort of has made so me... So hold on, you still think you're, you're catching up? Yeah, but, but in the sense that you know how there's that thing of what, what, what your initial impulse or your initial thought is or your initial feeling is about something never really goes. That's your sort of default yeah. factory setting. Um, and in a way, in a good way, I think, because it's made me work really hard. It always made me think, I need to know. So in a way, it sort of awakened my sense of trying to learn about theatre and trying to learn about movies and um, acting and theatre. I love theatre history, and I, and I think it sort of came from that. Just in terms of then to kind of your first job being at the National... That's a pretty good first gig, right? I mean, you can't complain about that. Can't complain about that. So you've got to be, out of the guys at Mountview, you've got to be one of the people that gets the best job fastest out of that, out of that cohort. Um, well, it was about six months after we left. So it wasn't straight away. So other people got gigs and... Uh, at which point you were thinking, oh, I'm not going to get us. I'm, I'm, I'm the failure of the year. Um, I, do you know what? I never... I was always, I sort of knew, in, it's similar to what you're talking about, I never really compared myself to what other people were doing. I never really felt um, that sense of, not competition, but you know when they would, you know, someone would come to, to your <coughs> drama school and go, right, now, 80% of you are never going to work. So, you know, they, and they do that whole thing and you're sort of, I, I always knew that this is what I want to do and this is what I'm interested in doing and there were things and I couldn't really speak for anyone else and no one could really speak for me. So I kind of, I left Mountview kind of going, well, uh, I'll, I'll take a break. I knew that I wanted to take a little break because I'd been, I'd gone straight from school to thing and then to this another course and BTEC and performing arts and then come to Mountview in three years. So I was like, well, I'll take the summer and then if I'm not, if I haven't got to work as an actor by then, then I'll get a job in a Tesco's or whatever and kind of figure out what else I'm going to do. And then it just so happened that at the end of that, then I, I got... So you get the job in the National. Do you at that point maybe think, this is it now, I'm on, a, I'm on course, never again will I be unemployed? Or was, Did you have a realistic sense of, of what might happen beyond that? Or did you think... I have arrived. Was there a sense of having had your break? No, not at all. I mean, I, it's weird because being at the National at that point, which is in 98, right. um, surrounded by all these amazing people, that was just what I knew. And because I didn't have, because I was so green, I didn't have any point of reference. There I was in the Olivier and we were doing, we were doing, uh, Five plays over the course of the over the course of the year. Not a bad gig. It was not a bad gig. It was an ensemble, and it was Trevor Nunn that was running it then. So it was like that long ago. It's not a bad gig. And so there were fifty actors, and it was an ensemble. And we were the fifty the ensemble National Theatre Ensemble. We're going to do five plays over the course of the year. So I was in three. Fantastic. And uh, and then they added a couple on the end. So it ended up being sixteen months or fourteen months or something. Sixteen months. Um, so that was kind of just what I knew. So I didn't feel like I'd landed. 
I just thought I, I, I was loving getting and, to work. And did that continue then? Did you come out of the National and continue to work in other jobs? Or was there ever was there a bit of a period after that where you went from effectively as close as an actor will ever get to civil service? Like, you know, <laughs> turning up to work every day, getting a salary, feeling like you're supported, having, if something goes wrong with your back, you've got someone to look after. You know that the National has a huge support network. Oh, yeah. And then the day you're unemployed after the National, if you don't have something lined up, I imagine, especially at that age, you feel a bit like all at sea. I always felt for the first few years that that thing of, okay, this is it. Um, because I didn't really know what, how it went that you worked and then I didn't really know what, what to expect. But there's been, you know, there's been, there's been lots of times where I finish one thing and I don't know what the next thing is going to be. And the first few times that that happens, you, you kind of panic and go, well, that thing of like, oh no, I've been, that's it, I've been found out. But it's just been luck up until now. Although I don't ever really believe in luck, but it's just been a sort of, it's just been the way the cards have um, fallen that, that have led me to that job and that job and that job. Because I'm very aware that there's there's no, re- there's no of course there's no reason why you should. Even the law of averages doesn't say you're going to go from one thing to the next to the next to the next to the next. So, you know, and lots of my friends around me, most of my friends have that thing of having to, you know, do their other job or find other things to do. So I kind of always, I, you, you then get to a point where you kind of have to park that panic. Right. And you're going to go. Don't worry about it. It's been fine up until now, and something it'll be will, fine. It'll be fine. And if it's not, then I'll go and do something else. And um, okay, I'm going to park where I would normally go with this, just because it's something that you've referenced in passing, and I think it's a conversation I don't want to not have with you. And I was chatting to uh, Arshur Ali um, a few months ago. I don't know if you know Arshur, but he was talking about uh, having been one of the few. Uh, actors who were uh, ethnic minority in his his uh, drama school, and how that that was both a blessing and a curse in some ways, and that he was coming out, and somebody said to him from one of the staff said, uh, you know, this is both your friend and your foe. It is the thing that makes you stand out, and the thing that makes you stand out, and and that is in both bad and a good sense. Were you conscious because you've mentioned that being not competing with other people in your drama school, um, and. And it being 20 years ago, I imagine there's been a huge shift in how you see casting being done between then and now. Were you conscious of then being an actor of colour and that being an added uh, obstacle? Or because I suppose you were, you were, well not use lucky as a term because you said you don't like it, but because you were rewarded early in terms of the jobs that you got. Is that something you never really thought about at that age? I think I always was aware of it because growing up, my mother made sure that we were aware that um, life would be difficult potentially in certain situations um, for you to be aware of the fact that life will be different and difficult because we were the only there was, we were black kids in our school, and there was another. There were two other sets. Of Whereabouts kids. in the country is is this? We're in Hertfordshire in Stevenage. Okay. So we were essentially the only black kids really around, us and our friends. Um, so we were, you know, we were. I was sort of aware by the time before I even thought of acting, I was aware that 
because you are black, you may have to be aware that things might not always be the same for you as they are for your white friends. And that you, you know, you need to be tough because of that and be aware of that and, and make sure that you um, uh, stand up for yourself and make sure that you um, apply yourself and work hard and all of that. So when I came to, to start my career, I was sort of aware of that. And it was just part of, of, of the way that life was. Um, so it was similar. I was the only black kid in my year at, at Mount View. I was the only black person completely. There was a, I had a black drama teacher, but other than that, I was the only black person in the, in the entire building. Um, and that was... I never, felt, I never really struggled with that. I just kind of did what I did and sort of worked hard. And um, but I was always, I'm always, you know, you can't really get away from the fact that the society that you're living is is sort of um, uh, sort of tilted one way. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you know, you just have to get on with it and be as um, and be as you know good as you can be and, and do all of that. So, funnily enough. The older I've got, the more I've been working. You talk about the shift um, from when I started, which is almost 20 years ago, um, to now. In a way, I think we've kind of gone backwards or sideways, in a way. So it hasn't, it's not necessarily progress, it's just a no, it's just really. change, really. Because when I started at the end of the 90s, you were coming off the back of <coughs> the initial colourblind casting, which was at least... Um, an awareness within the profession and within the industry that there is something which needs to be done here because you're coming off the back of the 80s which is sort of that the beginning of the second generation of uh, talking about um, uh, black actors the beginning of the second generation who are who were born here and who are sort of making their way and stuff so you're kind of you're coming off the back of all of that in the 90s where the industry says okay well, this is something that needs to be addressed and we need to we need to do something here which which um evens up this playing field and makes it far more acceptable and just and sane but then i think there was a sort of thing in the in the 2000s where it kind of so it's like that sort of happened and therefore now we're gonna i don't know it feels like we sort of moved backwards a little bit um there's a sort of sometimes it feels like there's a kind of complacency of like okay well we've done we've done that now things are better now we've moved yeah, forward yeah. now and and therefore you can all stop complaining you can all stop complaining really, yeah um, so I think there's uh, yeah so I'm 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 always aware of that but then one is always aware of that in everyday life those yes. those 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 aspects of um, making one's way in society and just getting up and <laughs> you know, getting from one end of the day to the other, <clears throat> regardless of whether you're working in a theatre or on a film set, you still have to contend with all of those issues. So for me, it's always just something which is there and I try to use in a positive way, um, as positive a way as possible. And, and, you know, my obligations, I think, are to society as well as my industry. I want to make my society better. I want to make the culture that I live in <clears throat> better because it and certainly in terms of art to me it's richer it's richer if it 
if our profession reflects the society that we live in and vice versa. So as much as I can, I try and <clears throat> whenever I'm dealing with those thoughts or feelings, I yep. try and make them as positive as possible and try and uh, make them as po positive as possible. Yeah. But you still have a situation where most of the people who run the theatres... Um, train the actors. I train guess. the actors. Um, who create, who greenlight things, who, who, uh, who make sure, who commission things. Who make policy decisions at government level. All of that yep. tend to be the same group of people. Yep. So if, unless that changes, then nothing really ever is going to change on any meaningful level. As some of the more podcast literate listeners may have worked out, that bird song indicates that at this point in our conversation, myself and Giles went off on somewhat of a political tangent stroke rant. Uh, it's not that I'm censoring it, it's just that it wasn't that interesting. We had the conversation I think most of you are probably having on a daily basis right now. It starts with you waking up in the morning asking, what has he done now? And it ends with you wondering, what the hell has gone wrong with humanity? You don't need to hear that. So uh, to break it up a bit, here's a word from our sponsors. Buy tickets to the best theatre in London, The New Way. With the Today Ticks app, getting great offers and access to exclusive tickets has never been easier. With Today Ticks Rush, you won't have to queue at the box office for hours to get day seats, and you can access big savings with their lotteries for shows like Kinky Boots and The Bodyguard. Download Today Ticks, the theatre ticket app, from the App Store and Google Play, and see theatre differently. Yeah. Oh God. This is going I mean, to that's, that's quite. A, we've we've moved into a very. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, the rest of these questions seem extremely kind of self-indulgent. But you know, if in the interest of me maintaining my mental health and not having a conversation that I've had seemingly of course. Un unendingly for the past two months. Of course. In a world where you wake up and wonder, I wonder what's happened overnight. What's happened now? Um, <laughs> so back to uh, back to acting. Um, and again, like this, in the context of all of that, you realise how how silly these conversations sound. But but equally, no, not at all. But equally, I think it's good. It's good to ask those questions, even if we don't have answers. I think it's good to ask those questions. Um, <clears throat> bring it back to acting. Um, do you uh, do you enjoy the process of auditioning? Do you know when they've gone well? Are you the kind of person that dreads it, or do you go into the room and think? Oh, I really like the idea, the, the feeling of being very well prepared. I like the feeling of knowing I really connect with that character. I really like that play, or I'm interested in that play. Um, the theatre would be brilliant, all those exciting things, or I'm really looking forward to working with the director. And then, if if the connect if the fit is right, if you feel like the fit is right, which it isn't always, um, but if you get a character and you go, oh my god, I, I get that guy, or I have a I have a feeling about that character, and then you can really jump into it and really dive into it, and, and you've got enough time to prepare. I love the feeling then of going into an audition if you if you feel prepared. A lot of the time, <laughs> a lot of the time, you go in and you're not because you've got the sides the night before. If it's film or TV or or, you know, if it's a musical, you won't get any... Unless it, if it's a new thing, you know, you won't get the whole script. You won't really necessarily know what's going on unless it's going to be in America before or whatever. But 
it's very rare. In a play, you might get to read the play and kind of da-da. But for everything else, a lot of the time, you're not, you don't have that much time to prepare for it. So I, I get really nervous auditions. I feel really... Um, and it's always like a struggle to kind of overcome... It's like the nerves of going on stage or mm-hmm. the nerves of first starting the first day of rehearsals. They're always there, but you kind of have to find a way of sort of dealing with them and, and overcoming them. So auditions... It's kind of the same. You want to make sure they're not debilitating. You want to make sure that, you know, there's nothing worse, as you know, of coming out of an audition and going, fuck, I, sh- I wish I could just, let me just go back in again. The minute you've gone out. Yeah, you work it out. And you're fine. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you're, 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 you're relaxed because all morning you've been sort of, you, you know, audition day, you're gear, the, whole, the whole day is about the audition. So you kind of go in and your kind of adrenaline's going. And the moment you leave, you kind of go, ah. And then you're relaxed enough that you can go, actually, I'll, let me just go back in again and do it one more time. I'll. So you don't want it to be debilitating, but at the same time, you need, you need the adrenaline. So I, I have a love-hate relationship with auditions. Yeah, it just depends on the circumstance, then, I suppose. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, in the ones that you, that you feel ready for and prepared for, and I, and, and I work hard going into auditions, so um, then I like I like them. Otherwise, otherwise it's it's a it's a it's a battle. But then you also have to trust that you know if you've got if you've got a casting director who you trust because they know that if you're in you know if you've been called in for this theatre this you've play, got a chance you're right for it yeah and you have to sort of trust in that and then go right well okay well they that all the directors got you in or whatever okay trust that focus on that. And know that that uh, they're on your side and all of that, all those things. They want you to be good. Um, if you go in and do, you know, you could potentially walk in that door and be the answer to their to all their problems because they think who who they're going to get to play this part. We need someone who's exactly like this, and potentially you could be that person. If you focus on the positives, then I find that helps. That's good. I like that. I've just recently started to sing before I go in. Not for musical theatre auditions, because I, I can't sing, but to breathe better. I find Because mm. that's the thing, I always find, like, I wasn't aware of it, but it was just carrying tension. Yeah. So I'm sitting on the tube, not quite aware of the fact that my diaphragm is probably like three inches higher than it right. probably should have been. Sitting in a waiting room, not wanting to look at a script because I didn't want to concede to the person beside me that I'm still nervous about it. Like playing right. silly games in my head yes, with yes, a room. Yes, yes. And then walking in their room and, and, and having to then somehow relax myself yeah. in a room in front of three people I've never met. Right. And the other day I did one and I just I started to, I was singing in the corridor and it kept it going. There was nobody waiting and it just kept singing this kind of like very sl- slow, kind of deep song that it just heard for the first time. And I didn't really know the lyrics, but that wasn't important. How important are lyrics really? Oh, really? Um, and I went into the room. I've never been as relaxed in a room in my life like just kind of because I think my breathing was right Yeah. and then I started thinking has it seriously taken you this long to work out that breathing is an important part of relaxation <laughs> you're an actor for fuck's sake yeah <laughs> but because we don't think about it because no. it's innate so we don't you don't ever think about breathing really I mean it, so yeah I can yeah it's interesting but uh, life you know you, you learn you learn up until the end yeah this is it um, do you get do you get much feedback? Is there a kind of a refrain that you hear that you dread hearing? Like if the phone goes from your agent and uh, it's about something and you haven't got it, and he wants to tell you, you know, what they said. Uh, 
No, if I'm honest. That's really good. No, but, but, but then I'm thinking, well, why? And I think it's probably because... You're a better actor than us. No, because <laughs> I'm, always, I'm, I'm always up for such random, disparate things. Yeah. Everything is always... A, not even just a, like different disciplines and stuff. And, and so I'm... Yeah, so, I'm, so maybe... Uh, maybe if one comes to me, I'll think... I'll well, what's think the most that. ridiculous reason you've heard for not getting a part? If, is there any time you've, you've been told you didn't get a part for whatever reason and you've thought, that's just stupid? Uh, I could have done that, or, you know... I tend not to get the reasons. You don't get them? You don't ask for them? Not particularly. If I haven't got something, then uh, then I haven't got it. And I'm just... Okay. And I want to I get back on the horse as quickly as possible. So I want, So, you know, I'll be depressed for two days... And need two days away for, if it's something I really want to do. And need two ways, two days away from the planet Earth, and then as quickly as possible, I go. Okay, I want to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I wasn't right for that. Doesn't mean I'm a terrible actor. So Next you thing. would, you would take, but you would take a couple of days sometimes to I, recalibrate. Getting, yeah, I'm getting better at it. Usually, if it was, because um, you know, if you really want something and you get, you gear yourself up to it, it's, it can be really tough when you don't get it. Um, and then, I w- and then I got to a point where I'd be like, right, just give yourself two days. Rather than be just depressed for a week, give yourself, like, two days where you don't try and fight, where you just, like, you're pissed off and you're unhappy and you're annoyed and you're questioning and whatever, and just get it all out, and then you can, you know, get back to normal as quick as possible. So I'm sort of better at that now. And also now I'm just like, well, if, if something isn't right, then I'm just not right for something. Um. This is one of those questions that in the podcast I pretty much ask every time. It's, it's one of the ones people remember. When I was younger, and before I signed with the wonderful Dalzell and Bresford. Oh, uh, they are good, apparently. Yeah, apparently they are. Yeah. An agent once told me that an actor's only ever truly happy in the five minutes after they get a call to say, Jazz, you got the job. <laughs> and then, he said, the self-doubt kicks in and the phone calls, don't know if I can do it, or the self-doubt internally, don't know if I can do it, I'm the right person, who did they offer it to before me that didn't want it, why didn't they want it, you know, am I going to be the weak link, oh, I've seen the cast, they're all brilliant, like all that stuff, and you talked about being nervous about first days, which I think in some ways betrays a sense of some of those things of like, oh, it's just the pressure. Do you recognise yourself in that? And if you do, you know, Tell me a little bit more. And if you don't, what kind of things do you start to worry about? What kind of things make you nervous about a first day of rehearsal, for example? All those things. All the things of... It's exactly <laughs> that. You know, you, you, the, the, that, that first moment after you get the call is great. And then it's like, well, no, they've made a mistake or they've, you know... Uh, yeah, someone, someone else didn't want it or whatever. Um... But in a way, and that really doesn't go. That doesn't really doesn't go for me at all. <laughs> it's always there. Again, you have to just find a way of dealing with it. You have to find a way of turning that to a positive. Um, which is why I wouldn't. Which is why I quite early on I was like, <clears throat> I'm going to do a job only if it's something I want to do, and I'm going to audition for something only if it's something I really really want to do. I had a really good acting teacher at Mountview who said whenever we'd come to do that terms project he'd say right you have to know why you're doing this project and you have to know what it is that you want to get out of it and then at the end 
not in an academic way, just it could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. Um, it could just be a case of going, right, I'm going to fix my breathing because I'm now aware that it could be anything or it could be I'm going to, you know, try and extend my emotional range or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. You have to have something that you want to get out of that project and you have to know why it is you want to, want to do it. And that, I, I found that really interesting and I've always kind of clung to that. So if I go, if, I, if an audition comes up and they say, okay, I'd like you to see this, I have to know that I really am interested in that. It, and it doesn't matter what interests me about it, it could be anything, but I have to have something that I know. Yeah. That are you talking like it's on a personal level or are you talking like I really like that theatre? It could be that. Because it could be anything between emotional range to that, that theatre's by the sea and I really fancy spending some yeah. time by the sea. Yeah, right, okay. but, 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 but usually, usually it's something emotional. <coughs> usually it's something like um, I totally connect to that. What I, I, something about that, and I'm quite, an, oh, I'm quite an, an instinctive person, really, or an actor, really. So there's be something about that character which makes me go, ah, you know, that thing where it doesn't happen often, but when it does, you kind of go, there's something about that guy that, that I, I get. Mm. I don't know what it is, and you know, getting to that, getting to to realise that character and serving him up in front of a thousand people is another thing there's a whole other journey but that initial connection with a character right. have to have something or the play or some the situation or something and as long as I know I've got that then when it comes to all the nervous stuff and when it comes to then the doubt then I, at least I've got something to hang on to because I know remind yourself I know exactly I just cling on to that cling on to that thing and then when you get to the first day <laughs> the dreadful first day of term where you're surrounded by you know 20 people who are better than you and the director who's gonna how long is it gonna be before the director is it gonna but by, by the tea break he's gonna realize he's made i'm the error i'm the, I'm the casting mistake there's always one you know the law of averages it has to be one where the director goes fuck i've made a mistake and in, that's gonna in, be me in the read through in the read through because you always have that fear where you're like the read through is the bit where the rest of the cast identify you as the weak link yeah and the director identifies you as the mistake exactly and it's good it's gonna happen <laughs> and again you have to work out a way of going in those situations i go every single person is feeling that yeah i'm not the only one feeling that everyone is feeling that and therefore it's fine you have to find some way of dealing with it so for me as long as i know why i'm doing a project then I can, you can at least cling on to that in times of doubt, you know. Um, do, in, in the grand scheme of things, which is more nerve-wracking, do you think? Is it, is it first day of rehearsals or opening night? First day of rehearsals. Because, does that, is that to say... Because you don't know anyone and you... you'd. If, is if, that to say the judgment of your peers is more important than the judgment of an audience or perhaps even the press? That, that in that room to be valued is more important than anything that comes after? I think you're more exposed. You're, by, the time you get to the th- by the time you get to the audience, you're, you've done it a lot. And you're sort of, you've relaxed a bit more psychologically. You've been through five weeks of rehearsal and you're sort of, you know, you're slightly more comfortable. And then you're, if you're like me, I like, I like being in, in theatres and I like being in the wings and I like warming up before a show yeah. and I like walking out into the to the theatre onto the stage and I like hearing the performance over the tannoy. I like being in theatres. So for me it's that's a kind of comfort place anyway. So it's 
slightly... And by the time you get to the thing, you just want to fucking do it. By the time you get to press night, you just like your... You want to show people how good it is. Well, you know, <laughs> you've, 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 you've put in all the work and, yeah. you know, and everyone else has put in all the work and you kind of want to just go out there and celebrate it and do it. Whereas on the first day, it's like everyone's new, everything's new. You're, you're exposed because you've spent, I don't know, anything from like a week or even a day if you're unlucky, but maybe a couple of months knowing that, you know, this build-up, this build-up, this build-up, this build-up, and then you've got to kind of go and meet everyone. And and it's you. When you're on stage, I, I find, when you're on your first night, you're a character, and you, you go out, and it's easier to be brave when you're yeah. focused on that character. Whereas in day one, it's Giles. And it's, it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, you just, you know, there's, there is no, nothing to hide behind. You're totally exposed. Well, the, the, the kind of way of turning that around and complicating it maybe is to say that um, the stakes are higher on when there's an audience there. So that actually one of the lovely things about rehearsals that I've always loved is making mistakes. It's right. That, it's that an environment where I think the right rehearsal room, you're encouraged to fuck it up as much as possible in as many different ways as possible. Like that's kind of the purpose of being there, right? And find out what, what things are interesting out of that. But when you're on stage and you fuck up, like that's... That's a different, the whole different ball game, um, and I suppose the question then is, um, and this isn't a question I've asked a lot, is have you had those moments on stage where all of that preparation goes out the window and it's Giles standing in front of a thousand people going, what comes next? Ooh, <laughs> um, I only had that once, right? No, that's not true. I had it twice. <laughs> no, three times. No. I did. I, I had it once where I was in a play, Six Degrees of Separation, at the Crucible, Sheffield. Right. And I and I had this big speech, all these big speeches, and I did one where I found myself repeating the sentence before last that I'd just done. There was like a little paragraph, and I, I'd gone back to the you start. A, you got into a circle. I'd gone into a loop. Oh no. So as I was going through that sentence again, I was like, I've said this before. Have I said this before? Why are you thinking about if you said this before? And somehow I managed to just keep going and then kind of I got out of it. So that's fine. That's really the only time it's happened. But then I, I got... I, uh, I was... Um, <laughs> I was off. I was off once. Uh, and... Um, it was in Hamlet, and uh, at the National, and um, <laughs> and uh, it was totally my fault. But it, that kind of wasn't a drying situation. It was just a bit. It was just me then running onto stage. That feeling in the, in like fl- what felt like floodlights, like the ET floodlights, <laughs> just and hot eyes and just. <laughs> Just being totally aware that everyone was looking, thousand, you know, eleven hundred people looking at me in a completely different way than they would if I was Horatio, whoever I was playing. <laughs> and that was a very weird feeling. That was a very weird feeling. But everyone else was laughing on stage, so it was, it was, I kind of, it, it was, it was all right. It was know? okay. It kind of got me out of it. But um, it's never going to be mentioned in the show report. There's, there's literally. Oh, there's, I've been in the show report more times than I care to recall. There's literally no good circumstance. In which your name appears in the show report. I've done some terrible things, so I've been in the show report for bad for bad things. 
but but, um, but you know that when you're doing it right it's not like it's a surprise you know the cost the implication yeah. of what you're doing yeah naughty stuff yeah uh, do you corpse easily um I can be very giggly I I work, uh, there was an actor who I who I worked with right at the beginning and he was the master at corpsing everyone but, but not breaking it but never going himself so he'd have an entire stage full of people having to turn up stage and like look into their hands or whatever and he completely would be straight faced and I was like that's genius I want to be able to do I want that. to be that guy I want to be that guy so um, I, I, I can I think it's uh, you know I think you have no. you become that guy are you that guy? Don't admit to it. I can't. I can't. I, I, I can't possibly say. There's it. been things that I've not been proud of, but yeah, you'd. It, it's. Uh, I suppose you'd have to ask people that I've worked with, but um, I have a theory about that. Okay, go. Which is that laughter. I think is. You, you, it's very hard, you know how it's very hard to laugh? If your character has to laugh on stage, it's very hard to do that. Yep. In a believable way. You can't hide, you can't bullshit laughter. Someone's either laughing or they're not. <laughs> because, and I was like, well, why is that? And I think it's because emotionally, it's, it's completely um, raw and honest and truthful. You can't really fake it. Involuntary. Exactly. Right. And I believe... <laughs> <laughs> this is my own bullshit opinion. That why actors, are, you know, that that delicious thing of just when everyone gets the giggles, is because it's something completely laughter. There's something completely emotionally honest about it, and I think that's kind of what we're, we're always going for, whether we, we really believe honest it or not. reaction to circumstances, honest reaction to circumstances, and so therefore the the, the pull of that I think is because I'm sometimes I think Giles, why are you going out there? Um, you know, and something funny happens, and you can't help laughing. Why? Why is it? Why? Why do you, when you look across the stage at someone, and there's that twinkle in their eye? It's the most delicious thing ever. Yeah. Why is it? And I think I've convinced myself that it's because, you know, there's there's a, there's a, there's something about the kind of honesty of laughter, which emotionally, we are we are drawn, <laughs> we're drawn yeah, towards. Uh, yeah, I, it's I, very tempting. I buy it? that. Um, I definitely buy that. There's something about you, you go on stage and you disarm the part of you that's selective hmm. about what you're going to feel. Yes. You know what I mean? So yes. at that point, anything that stimulates an emotional yeah. response is a good thing. Right. So if somebody stimulates the emotional response of laughter, yes. then you kind of, they've, they've hit you with your guard down. Exactly. You know what I mean? And crying, you can't, you, we don't cry. I mean, how often does a person cry? Well, you, you laugh a dozen times a day. So it's more available, I think. So I, I think remember... So I remember hearing Stephen, something, somebody, he might not have said this, this is the classic thing about stories, but anecdotes, but Stephen Ray had said to someone, to someone, who'd said to someone, who said, who said to me, the, the most convincing way to laugh on stage is to expel all the air from your lungs and then make whatever sound you're available to come out. And I thought, can you imagine being on stage, trying to actually be emotionally available and then thinking, must laugh at the end of, this, at the end of his line. <sighs> <laughs> But the weird that's thing funny. Is, but the weird thing is, it, but the laugh. weird thing is, it does work because you go. 
Yeah. Right. But I can't imagine that that would be, I mean, technically that's a whole other place that I'm not normally in on stage. Just, and what happens if they skip a line and you're not ready and you've got air left? Do you have to then leave a pause while you go? Exactly. (laughs) Hang on a minute. I'm just going to do my laugh. So what's the most difficult thing about being an actor? Trying to, trying to overcome or deal with your own uh, issues or your own get get out of your own way. I find in terms of the process of acting, in terms of a career, that's a different thing. But in terms of the process of acting, which is what I think you're talking about, to me, the, the most difficult thing is to get out of your own way and to try and. The more I do, the more I'm aware that that if if I go and see something and it's I, I, I'm not completely moved by it, I'm not connected to it, often it's because there's something else in the way, either the acting or the situation or something's been put in the, in between me and the story or me and the production or something. There's something in the way and I think getting out of the way of um, of the work that you're trying to do or the connection that you're trying to have or the story that you're trying to tell, I find the most difficult thing because you are then dealing with your own those things are, you know, your own insecurities or your own ego or uh, a- any number of those sort of psychological or emotional things, which are usually um, have been around for as long as you've been around. So yeah. they're quite difficult things to kind of deal with. And yet, at the same time, those are the very things that you want to be using to be able to tell your story. Yeah. So it's a very weird... Um, well, let's say then the other thing, which, what's the most, you mentioned it, what's the most difficult thing about an acting career? Uh, again, I can only speak for myself, and... In a way, I think the most difficult thing, or one of the, I think there's lots of difficult things, for me, I think it's being uh, trying to find a, a real sense of honesty with who it, what it is that you want to do, um, it, and that's sort of linked, I think, to other things because there's so much pressure on the things that you are supposed to do as an actor or the career that you're supposed to have, the place that you are supposed to be in your career. Mm-hmm. If you're not there, you're not successful or all of that kind of stuff. Um, I find really hard. And I think the answer to that is, to, is so long as I can be really honest and truthful about what it is that I want to do and what it is that I'm trying to what interests me and what challenges me and what stimulates me uh, then you can sort of try and manage all the rest of it career and um, jealousy or ego or um, comparing yourself to other people um, not being not having the movie career not getting that that side of it or not or not being able to do theatre or not being able to go to the national not being able to wherever it's always what we don't have And I try as much as possible to, to just focus on what it is that I do have, what it is I'm aiming for. And then, you know, you just have, then you sort of just keep going. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you compare yourself to other people? Do you find yourself yeah, I think making ine- comparisons? Yeah, inevitably, you know, you, you sort of, you open up your WhatsApp or your, or your Facebook and you say, oh, they're doing that or they've got that or, 
and those are, you know, now I remember when, you know, there was that sort of thing where... We were side by side and we were side now by look side. what he's doing. Exactly, or yeah. I started before, I remember when they... He got, I was ahead of him. I was ahead of him. Yeah. And then now they're there. And I kind of think, I think, well, that's fine. That's natural. Yeah. This is a natural... There's it's a, a marathon. Sentence. You can't... Yeah, exactly. You, you know, as so long as you don't let yourself be um, governed by that, those feelings. <laughs> I think it's fine to kind of, to, 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 to a certain extent, because I think it's natural to look at someone else and go, oh, hang on a minute, they're there and where am I? What, what it's that? natural to want yourself to be in a better position. It's natural to want more for but yourself. But it's relative, I think that's, a, that's the point, is it? It's relative, yeah. a better position is relative. Um, uh, you know, uh, I've worked with some really good actors who, you, who who've, from the outside are completely at the top of their profession who have won Oscars and have won all this stuff. And <clears throat> knowing that they are, you know, looking at other people and going, oh, reaching on, and, why yeah. have they got that? And why, yeah. why have I not got that movie? And it's all relative. So I think you have to, for me, I have to cling to what it is that I want to do. And then... In, in, your, in your kind of darker moments, have you ever found it difficult to be happy for someone? Have you ever found it that somebody gets something and you have that moment where you're like... Even if someone, Fuck. even if I don't think is someone is talented, yeah. Um, I'm aware that I became aware that it's just it, you know I don't really anything that's negative. Get rid of it. I just don't. It's not going to help me. Yeah, but that's that's fine in theory. What I'm saying in practice, though, in practice. Is, is do you when you sometimes maybe you've just woken up and you've forgotten that you're a positive person, you're not fully awake, you open Facebook, and oh, in that moment, do you, get, do you ever get oh fuck? Yeah, I think yeah, but but but, and I, again, I think that, but but not uh, you know, it's temporary. Yeah, yeah, it passes. So we're nearly we're nearly there. In fact, it's just about to take a positive turn. You'd be glad to hear. What's the best thing about being? An actor. For me, the best thing about being an actor is being able to step into situations and worlds which you were not aware of before. If you're doing a play about the Second World War, if you're doing a play about Egypt, if you're doing a play about the founding fathers of America or whatever, and, and you are you are unaware of that. In t- you, you've you've potentially got. And I'm someone who's quite um, curious. Mm-hmm. So I love being able to go. I knew nothing about the situation at all. And then you dive in and you find out things. And then you find. And then also it's you great, find out. It? Oh, that's actually linked to that other thing that other I did. thing which yeah. I which I didn't think was was connected yeah. at all. And of course it is. Um, as well as stepping into new physically new places I love traveling and I like um, going to different countries and different cultures and um, different towns different cities and I love nothing more than sort of getting on a train and going up to wherever or going get, flying to wherever um, and just being able to see and feel and experience different things um, I love that about acting because or you know people as well I love uh, having said, you know, day one of rehearsals is a nightmare. Day one of rehearsals is also beautiful because you're meeting a whole set of new people and you know that gives, there's going to be someone, usually one or two people, who you're probably going to know for the foreseeable future, maybe for the rest of your life. 
not everyone you get on with, but there's always going to be someone you have a connection with. Yeah. And that you didn't have that before day one of rehearsals. Um, so all those new things, being able to step into new worlds and meet new people, I, because that's what makes you grow as a person. And not everyone gets that. You know, a lot of people kind of go, oh, well, it's very... Some, I think it's weird, isn't it? Because do you find that like, so people know two things about acting? One, that it's very glamorous, and two, that it's very unreliable and you, you never yeah. work. Yeah. And it's like the two, two completely opposite <laughs> they things. Be, they can't be both. They can't be both. Because people always think I'm. Like, that's the thing is, you, people go, you're an actor, and they make two assumptions. One is that you've got a lot of money, and the other is that you spend a lot of time unemployed. Yeah. So like if you've been on TV, they're like you, even it doesn't matter what it is, you must you must have yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. But equally, you, you must spend a lot of time in your pajamas. And you're like, right. you can't you can't possibly do both. <laughs> like, I mean, to a certain extent, there is that. You know, one some, month you're doing this, and one yeah, month you're doing that. It fluctuates, right? But you know, I think that the, to me, the, the great thing is 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 new things, and new people, and new situations. Do you, do you think Giles, the guy who you know runs on the stage uh, into the floodlights, and Giles, the guy who uh, you know um, loops his lines on, uh, do you think that guy, the guy behind it all, is different? It's a really hard question, I know, because it's impossible to know what you would have been had you not been an actor. But do you think that constant process of seeing new places from new perspectives being stepping in the physical physically new places and new characters and researching different parts of history and living i suppose the cliche and walking a mile in another man's shoes and then another mile in another man's shoes and so on do you feel like that? or another woman's shoes sometimes. yeah of course yeah i mean i've been in here have you yeah well there you go well then has that made you, has that changed you in any kind of great way? I mean, psychologically, do you think you're a different person because of that, that constant process, for good or for bad? Are you ever aware of, say, one job where you've come out and thought, fuck that, that I, inside Giles is different yes. because of that? Yes, yeah, I definitely. Um, and most things are like that. Uh, and if you are fortunate, you you're aware of it, of its you know the change has happened in a big way um yeah i i think i mean that's what i like about life is that you're constantly growing you know the shit things that you go through and there's been lots of difficult things i've been through move you forward in some way or backwards but you are moved and i think in the in this in the same way that the good things that you um experience also move you so f for me you know, at the same time as your one is getting older. So naturally, you know, everyone, you go through certain things, you go through your 20s, you go through your 30s, and then, you know, you've had a breakup, you've had a thing, you maybe you've had kids, maybe you've done this. You've, you're moving forward, and therefore you're, you are changing and growing. Yep. And I think, for me, theater, working in theatre specifically heightens that, that process. Having said that, the negative side might be, let's say... Um, I'm someone who's, I like being on the road and I like, it sort of suits me that I'm kind of just my own thing and I don't really have that much responsibility to other people and possibly one could argue that having the career that I've had and the lifestyle that I've had has sort of um, enabled that sense of um, freedom and self uh, 
um, self what self uh, concern um, and that might be a negative thing I don't know but but yeah um, if you could go back we're very near the end now if you could go back to that young guy yes uh, I mean you can pick which young guy you're going back to but I imagine the interesting points and the story as we've we've heard it are the guy that's you know come down to London to go to Arts Ed Mount View Mount View sorry not, not Arts Ed not Mount Arts Ed yeah so the guy that comes down that'll not go in the guy <laughs> that's come down to go to Mount View um, or the guy that comes out of Mount View I imagine are two slightly different men as well. Very different, I see. Um, if you could offer one or both of those guys some advice, say they, you know, were down in the green room bar after maybe the first performance of that season at the National, and you could put your arm around him in a kind of, you know, uh, weird time travel kind of way and say, just, just, I just want to tell you one thing. What one thing might you tell him to either aid his progress and passage through the intervening years, shortcut some problems that he may have what might you say to him to help him between then and now to thine own self be true is what I would say as much as that might you know sound trite or whatever because if you are if you are honest about what it is that you feel and that you want to do Often you can, everything we do when we're young is we second guess ourselves. We're sort of afraid of, of, oh, is that the right thing? Is that the right thing to do? Because we've come through school and everything is about conforming. So you're sort of thinking individually. It's not necessarily a, a thing that we're encouraged to do. And you're at that point when you're young where you're kind of going, oh, this is what I feel, but is it the right thing to do? Is it the right thing to do? And I would say if you trust your feelings and your instincts, and be as honest as you can possibly be to to yourself. And if you do that, then if you fall off the horse, then at least you've you know, and something doesn't work out or yeah. doesn't work out. At least you you have the integrity of what it is that you're feeling and yeah. thinking. And on the other flip side, you might ride that horse. And this sounds like a Tom Middleton answer. It's really now. good. I really um, like it. <laughs> You might, you might, you know, you might take off. Whereas it's not quite Tom Hiddleston, by the way. You've a long, you've a long way to go before we enter that particular realm. <laughs> Whereas, if you if you don't, then you're you're never really going to know. You, you might as well just stick to your guns, and 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 I realise that that's difficult. Actually, it is difficult because for me. Like I say, I went from that thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Whereas lots of my friends weren't, didn't have that situation. They would go months, years without a job or, or work. And therefore you kind of have to have a different set of things. Or if you've suddenly got kids and you've got a family, you've got a whole other set of things yeah. that you have to take into consideration. But for me, I would say just, just be... You might as well... Be as honest with yourself and as true to yourself as you can possibly be. For myself, when I've done that, it's always paid off. If you can be as honest with you, I mean, that's that's what everyone always says about acting. Be as honest with yourself as you possibly can be, then no matter which way it goes, you've you've succeeded. Yeah. Um, and you you become stronger for it. 
So Younger Giles takes that, thinks about it, and has something to say back to you. What might Younger Giles remind you of? What might he want you to remember for the next 20 years? What might be the thing that you possibly, and all that you might have lost sight of? If there's anything that you started out with that you really wanted to do or, or an aspiration that you had that you somehow laid to the side, what might, doesn't have to be anything, but what might that younger guy be most keen to remind you of about where he is and what he wants back then? Um, I don't know about that. Do we standards, Giles? Do, do, <laughs> do the bill. Um, well, the th- well, I'm not sure whether he'd consciously remind me but if I look back, some of the things that you do when you are 21, um, the, 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 you know, that sort of, if you're, if you're ignorant enough, then you can be fearless enough. And some of the things that I, I would do or um, want to do or situations that I put myself in or the, the kind of balls to, to kind of just do, okay. do something, I don't necessarily have that much anymore. You're more considered and you're more, you're aware of different things. Whereas I'd be like, yeah, just, just there's more to lose now as well, really. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think maybe he'd say, keep hold of that fearlessness as much, as long as you can, and just uh, don't be afraid to sort of just jump off. And there's a tension there between those two things, then. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, the last question um, of the day, and it's always the same, is: Are you in anything at the minute? No. Excellent. No, I'm not. And that's it, Giles Torreira, episode 13. Thanks to Dalzell and Beresford, the agency Giles and I share, for providing a space in which to record that interview. The final one of series two. Thanks to them. That's it. That is literally the end. There is no more. We have wrung every ounce of joy out of series two. It is finished. But the good news is those absolute legends at Today Ticks I've got behind Honest Actors for another series. So I will be returning with more interviews and a little bit of a slightly, let's say, evolved concept later in the year. So uh, do not despair. Enjoy the 26 episodes that are on there between now and then. And uh, go check out Today Text Download their app on iTunes or on Google Play as a way of saying thank you for their continued support. Uh, I said at the beginning of this whole thing that I would never ask the actors who were listening for money to support this podcast. I have, on occasion, I'll admit, asked for money to support other things, charitable causes. Most recently, I have asked listeners of the Honest Actors podcast to support me in my own endeavours to raise money for the Actors Children's Trust by running this year's London Marathon. Now, I have to admit, training for that has not gone so well this past fortnight nor has fundraising. So far I have raised £250 of the £1,500 that I have pledged to raise in order to justify my place in the London Marathon. So, if you have enjoyed this series, if you enjoyed Series 1, and if you are looking forward to Series 3, in lieu of giving money to this project, I'm asking that you consider giving money to the Actors Children's Trust via my own Just Giving page justgiving.com forward slash Jay Harden. There's no question about the importance of the work done by the Actors Children's Trust. There is no question about the fact that it is difficult to run a marathon. What I do understand is that I'm asking a group of people who probably have some of the least disposable income amongst those who listen to podcasts. I get that. 
And, you know, for those of you who genuinely can't afford to give money to the Actors' Children's Trust because you're maybe supporting yourself or supporting your own kids, I, I totally understand. And I kind of feel bad for asking. I'm asking for the rest of you. I'm asking for anybody who does have an extra spare five or maybe a tenner or more or less to go to justgiving.com forward slash Jay Harden and give some money to that cause. Like I say, I've never asked for a bean from the listeners to fund this project. I've always sought to get it from elsewhere and so far, thankfully, have been successful in that. Please, if you can, consider giving a little bit back, not to me, but to the Actors Children's Trust. Justgiving.com forward slash Jay Harden. Now, Plea for Cash is over. Series 2 is done. We've just got to look forward to spring, summer, and then after that, when the nights start to darken again. Series 3 of the Honest Actors Podcast. Until then, thanks ever so much for listening. I look forward to recording the next set of interviews and bringing them to you at the end of the year. So until then, fade out music. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.